Welcome to Pixel What You Preach, hosted by Victoria Goldsmith, the podcast that dives into conversations with game developers and professional creatives, explores the mysterious realms of game development, self-improvement, and draws inspiration from real-life experiences. The team's on the search for a sponsor for the project, so if you'd like to be part of the podcast, please get in touch. Hello and welcome to Pixel What You Preach and today I'm very very excited we've got Liam Wong. Hi Liam. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Big fan. I mean how do I even introduce you because you're a director, um, a photographer so maybe you could just give a bit of an intro into your title if you can. <laughs> yes where to start. Uh, yeah so I'm Liam Originally from Scotland, and you'll never tell from my accent. Um, I worked in games since 2010, I think, 2010. It was a long time now, yeah, 14 years. Um, I started off in, like, studied in Scotland. Then I went to England for a couple of years. Then I was in Canada. So I was in Montreal for six years. So you were from England and you graduated. And then in two years, you went all the way to Montreal, Canada. That's amazing. You know, people spend years sort of building up the ladder and the fact that you went mm-hmm. after two years, that's incredible. Yeah, I feel like it needs, I guess, some context. So, yeah, I'm from Edinburgh originally, actually. And so, yeah, I went to University at Aberté, which is in Dundee. So it's mostly always in Scotland, but they had a video game award thing, like a Dare to be Digital. Do you ever hear about oh, it? I've heard of that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's maybe still going in some kind of form. But they had this competition where you could make a game in 10 weeks. And I ended up doing that whilst at university. Um, the thing about me, I guess, is that I was like kind of like a bit shy. And I was always trying to balance that part. Like I was, I was um, very invested into my work, like the, the skills. The harder part was actually communicating. So when I think about how do you go from say being a student into a director position, that was the hardest one to overcome. Um, I think you can, yeah, you can be good at your art, but being able to communicate, being able to present your idea, to present yourself to an employer, those are the, the hard parts. So so I, I worked in Nottingham for two, and I think, yeah, two years. Um, I got a job at Crytech UK, which actually is like, it's still one of the most like talented studios I ever worked at. It was unreal to imagine how much talent they had in that studio. Like the people that work there and what they do now is ridiculous. Yeah, the the foliage just looks amazing, doesn't it? I remember trying to learn the Far Cry engine mm-hmm. just after uni. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> a bit of an experience. <laughs> so I mean, I I was there on like two D side, so I was like surrounded by all the amazing three D artists, and that's where mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I never want to do three D. <laughs> I will never get to that level. And it was like understanding that and understanding, yeah, like I'm never going to touch that. Um, I always wanted to be an art director, I would say. Yeah. Like I think anyone that knows me knew that I wanted to go that way. I remember being in Nottingham and I had one of my friends, Chris, Chris Brown. He was my lead, right? The best lead I ever had. Um, and he was the one that was always like, you should just chill out, slow down. Mm. There's no rush. Um I like feel like I've said this run. before. <laughs> <laughs> like trying to speed run a career, you know? Yeah. Like when I think about moving to Canada, yeah, I never actually 
had been there when I accepted the job. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think, because I listen to your podcast a lot, I'm trying to think what's actually useful for people. So, you, you know, don't overthink it. Just think, you know, your story, because that's the, the most interesting part. I mean, the fact that you've said you were quite a shy person, mm-hmm. to take that risk to move to Canada and, you know, you're like, oh, I've never been to Canada. That's That's huge. And I think that's really admirable of you. And I think this is something to kind of people can take away. You know, you have to take the risks when the opportunities come about. Um, You know, if you hadn't moved to Canada, you know, you might have had a different path. So I think that's really important. For me now, like I move around a lot, so it's kind of normal. But I think even when you think about the city that you're from and you think about moving away from that city, it already feels like a, a big thing, like going away for uni or, I don't know, whatever it is people do with their careers and things but that was already like a huge one even moving from Scotland to England felt like dramatic like a long way I don't know it's like four hours on a train or something yeah so going to Canada it was like one of those things I couldn't give up um when you think about opportunities it's another thing I think back of where there's this feeling that if you have like a big offer if you turn it down it will never happen again and I turned down a lot of other offers and I ended up staying in England for an extra year um, and at the time I was like yeah that's me wrecked now I have no career mm-hmm. like, I'll never experience that again and it, you know it worked out in the end um, it's always something I say I guess to people who are like students and things that you don't always have to give up absolutely everything to go and move to another place just because yeah. that's how video games work so how did you decide what the opportunity was right and what wasn't? Was it kind of like a, a gut feeling? Was it experience? Was it how you were treated? Yeah, I think there's a few things. So I'm trying to think, the, the types of games I, I loved were first-person games, first-person shooters. So I worked on Crisis 2 and 3. Um, Far Cry 3 I played as a fan, and that game was like amazing. I always wanted to work with that team, and when that opportunity came up, I was like, I can't give that one up. So it was actually more about the game itself and being able to kind of bring something. And I didn't really know what at the time. Yeah. So you was at Crytek in the UK mm-hmm. and then you went over to Montreal in Canada and then you carried on working on the Far Cry series. Yeah, I actually worked on another title that was never released mm-hmm. for about three years. It's one where some stuff went out, but it was a great team. And I really loved being on a much smaller team where you could fit everyone in a room and every week you would share the game that you're working on, share all of the cool little mm. features. Um, it was a great experience and I think it got, it got iced. And then I was like, yeah, I'm kind of done. Like this is... Uh, yeah, I think, you know, like in our industry, you have like a lot of crunch and everything, but then there's like a lot of burnout and people don't realize that you can get burnt out from when you keep investing your time into a project and putting mm-hmm. all your, your love and your energy into it and all that nurturing you do and then it doesn't go anywhere or it keeps getting blocked that burns you out really quickly because I think with any kind of art you've always got to replenish it haven't you you, you can't you, it's not like this endless source of creativity and energy so yeah it's, it's always really hard when things like that happen yeah, it's something I think about where, you know, I was there for six years. In that time, I think it was after the fifth year, I could take six months off. 
uh, and I did it. Uh, after five years, you can do that at UB. And when I did it, I had a couple of things in mind. My photography had already picked up because I started like, like 2015. Um, and then when that happened, it was really trying to think about non-games things I'd love to work on. The biggest learning from that was actually after that six months had passed, one of the games I helped out on shipped. And when I looked at it, I was like, you know what, I probably would have stayed there. Um, worked, you know, evenings because I felt, okay, I enjoy my job type thing. Uh, maybe even weekends because I have a team of people that might need my input. Never turning off notifications, all that kind of thing. Um, it was seeing that game go out there, seeing it and going, you know what, even if I did that, I would have made no difference as an individual. Um, and that was the point where I was like, you know, it's time to like move on. Um, because when you're working, you're working in a team, it feels you're, in a, you're inside this bubble and you feel like it's the most important thing. You feel like you are making, you most, you're, you're making something incredible, um, but it's easy for that to overtake like the work-life balance especially the higher up you go. Yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. And I, I do totally get that. And, you know, I, can't, I bang on about it all the time, but I think having your own thing outside of work always invests back into your day job. So, you know, with your photography, it was like kind of like the thing that you'd do to relax and you'd get that sort of like creative kick from it. Yeah. I'd say I'm the kind of person that if I take up a hobby, I'm, I end up making it like my career. Um, but yeah, I started to get into photography a lot and I loved it because I was able to just do my own thing. Games take like, you know, triple A five, six years and it's too much. Yeah, I, I do get that. Like I do like a lot of photography, but I don't share it online because I kind of want to keep something for myself and I don't know if it's the same with you, but when I'm taking pictures, I'm thinking about all the, well, of course you do, but you know, the composition and it's like that kick when I build an environment. I'm like, I've made this composition, I've made this world, and then I've captured it in a in a photo, and then I can share that, you know, dead easy. When you're taking your photography, do you think, oh, this would look really cool in a game, or are you just kind of in the moment, just taking, you know, the pictures and that kind of thing? Like the way that my photography started was actually I would share my pictures on Facebook. So it was only like family and friends, maybe people I worked with at Crytek or Ubisoft people I went to uni with, but I would just kind of take pictures for myself because I was usually on vacation um, and I would share them just to my little group of people. And it, I guess it was seeing them react well a lot to certain images that kind of drove me in, into that position. I still take a lot of pictures just for myself. I never share them, but it's a different line when you think like just doing this for fun versus it's kind of a profession. You know, you've sort of been the go-to guy for sort of the neon photography in Tokyo. And then you did, um, you know, your After Dark book as well. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to do something different, do you almost feel like you've got this audience to please now? Or do you just kind of think, you know what, this is what I want to do and I'm going to just do it anyway? Yeah, it's a good question. Let me think. When I think about, like, photography, I I don't always think about what will my audience like even audience is a weird one to say but the thing I love that I wasn't expecting from photography was seeing people maybe create art from my pictures like encouraging people to do art studies those are ones where I'm like yeah sometimes I'll be out and I'll think you know what this would make a cool picture that someone might 
do a paint over of or like a and it's not just concept art you get a lot of other things you know like 3d environments obviously lighting game stuff but I've had some weird ones like nail art and things that were like inspired by it. Like kind of how, how can you fit that on a nail? <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, I guess it's like color palettes and things. So I don't know. Like social media, I don't use it as much these days. I think it's at some point, like you're saying, like I like taking pictures for myself. Uh, I don't necessarily always want to share them uh, or I'll share them when I feel like it, but I love the more personal side. Yeah. So you took some time off with your, you know, your six month break and you took your photos and then how did you come about doing a book? Did you travel to Tokyo and then how did it work? Yeah, I'm trying to think. So my first book would have been like from 2016 to 2019. So it's about three years of work. Now three years of work sounds like a lot, but you have to think I was working full time in AAA. So I would save up all my vacations, go on holiday to Tokyo and be out every single night taking pictures which is quite extreme I think most people wouldn't have done it but that was kind of my approach when it came to a book it lined up with when I was taking that six month period I was trying to think of non-games things I could work on uh, the book was kind of first on the list because I was already considering just leaving and going freelance I needed that book to kind of be a good like stepping stone, like successful so that I could leave my job. And what was it that made you feel like I need a break and I need to do something else for a bit? Was it just kind of your curiosity? Was it just kind of you were fed up with the grind? Was it a combination of things? It was like absolutely like uh, I'm very like career driven. Mm. And I think the problem with that is like when you you bring so much of yourself into a career and at the time, it's like I was trying to be a professional photographer and a director in video games. Mm. And you can't do two careers at the same time. You will yeah. quickly burn out. And I was kind of feeling that. And so having that time off, I was lining up a lot of like contracts. Like you mentioned Neon. Like one of the first first projects I had was actually with CD Project, like Cyberpunk. Oh nice. And they let me travel around travel around the world taking pictures. Which I was like, that's quite yeah, it's quite funky. That was the part where I was like, you know, I'm really motivated by this. I'm on my own time, my own kind of, you know, I just deliver a bunch of pictures and they choose the ones they like. And it was like a very simple transaction. Uh, when it came to the book, it was like really trying to use everything that I knew from video games. So working at UB, I worked a lot with marketing teams. Um, you know, I worked on style guides a lot for video games. So I try and think about all of the components that make up a style guide and how that would apply to my photography, but also for a book. Like when you start to break down all of those elements, how can I succinctly interest someone in a very like niche topic? Um, nighttime photography, nighttime photography, Japan, Tokyo, um, neons, uh, you know, there's some crossover there. Um, when it's angled in the right part, that's when people can understand a product essentially like the visual identity because one of your favorite games is mirror's edge isn't it which is yeah you know i can you know see that kind of inspiration and you know there's that stylized look that it's got it's almost timeless isn't it you know i think stylized games do become timeless because they you know they don't seem to date the same as when you're doing high graphics things um but yeah, so you took, you know, time to do your book. And then, so now you're 
a visual director at Unseen. So how did that come about? Yeah. Um, so Mirror's Edge, like when I was at university, I did like my final year thing on Mirror's Edge because mm. uh, it was like so iconic. It made me want to be an art director. That's why it's so, it's like I feel nostalgic for it. And it is timeless, like you said. Um, when it came to Unseen, I'm actually not like a full-time employee. It's a, it's a cool kind of setup. And I met Ikumi Nakamura through my photography, actually. My photographs were referenced for Ghostwire, Ghostwire Tokyo. So at some point we connected after her E3 appearance and we kind of met up a bunch of times in Tokyo. And I said to her at the time, because I was, I think I was still at Ubisoft and she was still at Tango. And so... Because she worked on Ghost on the Wire game, didn't she? Yeah, Ghostwire Tokyo, Bayonetta, um, Evil Within 1 and 2, like massive games. But yeah, I was like, if you ever do make a games company, let me know. I'd love to find a way to help. And this is when I was already in the mentality of like, I just want to be freelance and I want to work on projects, work on more projects than AAA would allow me to. You know, I think it was like looking back at when you work on a successful franchise and you go, let's say it takes four years to make a game and you go on LinkedIn, you edit your profile, you paste the same game name, you change the number at the end, you click save and that's four years of your life like gone. Um, and the older you get, you have less games in you. I used to, I remember someone telling me that when I was at UB, but they were much older. But it's like, now I'm like getting to that part where I'm like, how many games do I have left? And that's the part where I just want to be more involved in the smaller parts, the parts that I love. So with Unseen, I help out as visual director, which means I, you know, I, it's almost like consulting on a lot of different topics. That could be art direction, could be marketing. I really enjoy the marketing side. So, for example, we had the Game Awards, which I like set up pretty much most of that. You know, I'd speak to Jeff Keeley uh, directly, get the kind of agreement that he would let us show it, um, like a free spot, actually. Um, and then directing the trailer with Raul, who's the animation director, Raul Ibarra. It was like December, so not that long ago. Yeah, that, that is. So Unseen is um, a studio in Japan that was founded by mm -hmm. Akumi Nakamura. The game you work on is Kamuri. Yeah, which means like smoke. So Yeah. Because I left my job in Canada and I was freelance. I was traveling a lot and then the pandemic happened and you couldn't travel anywhere. So I was actually in the UK for I think about a year and a half. It was during the pandemic I spoke to Akumi and this is like probably three years ago now. I've been helping out at that company, even though it's been around for like two. Um, she started that studio with the idea that, you know, bring people from all over. Uh, let people also like work from anywhere. You don't have to be in the studio. And there's a lot of talented people there. And that, that was something that I always wanted to work for a Japanese games company. I just didn't want the burden of what Japanese game yeah, companies that, are like. Yeah. Uh, it's something that doesn't exist unseen. That's that's really good to hear. I really loved um, the video you directed of Akumi, and she introduces herself and she says, "You know, I started the studio. I'm a games developer and I'm a mother." And I just thought that was so incredible because, like women in games, it's like almost like this thing that you're not meant to talk about because it can stop your career. And you know, she's you know what I've started the studio. 
I want all these creatives and first and foremost I am a mother and I was just like wow that's incredible you know that mm-hmm. that's you know she's really sort of shaking things up and it's it's really nice to see you know, I don't know many women founders I think the interesting part doesn't end there when I think of art directors who are CEOs there's even not that many so like you have to think about that alone already set her apart then be like a woman in Japan which is like not just doesn't happen like to be at that level so there's a lot of things that like really inspired me like she's great at everything she's like a photographer I remember the first time going out taking pictures with her she brings her camera which is like you know as expensive for lack of a better word as expensive as my setup and I was like full-time professional I was like hang on a second why do you have that camera and then she was like actually I've been doing photography for like 10 plus years and she takes all of these abandoned ruins photographies and I'd actually seen her work when I worked on Crisis 3 except I didn't know it was her um you know like overgrown Japanese not just Japan but like all around the world like overgrown abandoned photography so she let me in on that secret and I was like you should totally make a book and so her book comes out like next month or so um but yeah there's so many layers to her where I was like if there's one person I could learn from like actually a mentor it would be her she's like great at everything oh it's always you know nice to hear as well you know people as as successful as you you know you you still get a lot of value from having a mentor and I think a lot of people just think oh everyone's got everything figured out but it's not it's not possible you've always got to be open to learning and yeah when I think back to when I was at uni there were it was always hard to kind of meet industry people but I was fortunate to find like a few people that would always give me input on say my portfolio um you know give me tips give me like oh I don't don't bother with that company blah 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 those are things you would just never know unless you knew someone who was actually working in the industry. Because yeah, when I when I got my first job at Crytek, it was actually because of the redundancies at Real Time Worlds. Um, and I made a game called APB, which is still one of the most expensive games of all time, and most people have never heard of it. Which is funny because it, they spent so much, I think they like hundred million or something. It was made in Dundee, and there were redundancies. And I was a student, and I was a I got sent a link and I was like, I can't really apply because I'm still a student and it would look bad. Like there's people that have lost their jobs. So why should I turn up to these interviews? And I remember telling this my friend Jade, Jade Law at the time. And she was like, no, you should just go to these interviews because I was legit not going to turn up. But I, w- I actually started off in quite a niche area, which was UI, like user interface. I was like always into graphic design. Um, a lot of people didn't care about it, especially back then. Now it's very different, but it was like seeing how many companies needed that position and then just kind of going for it. Uh, but yeah, when I think back specific to like mentors, like without someone there pushing me and then encouraging me, because I, you know, I lacked a lot of like self-confidence. Like I can think my art is okay, but it's not me thinking, yeah, I'm great at this. Yeah, I've always had mentors over the year and I think it's good to have different mentors for different things because, um, you know, I think especially with when you're an artist, you get a lot of people telling you, you're not good enough, make this better, change this colour and then you can end up having nothing left and then 
you know, you start getting things like imposter syndrome and that kind of thing. So I think it's good to have that, you know, safe network of people that you can, you know, talk to and trust. You know, any, I think anything I work on, I've always got like a group of people. I'll always just like send stuff be like, hey, what do you think of this? And I'll kind of use that to gauge. That could be like photographs where I just send a bunch, especially my books. So like, you know, which, which cover do you like gel with? Except my angle, my angle would usually be like, which one is the worst? And then they would get funny about it because they're like, well, they're all good. And I'm like, this, you know, one of them has to be good. And I want to know if like <laughs> statistically, which one is the, which is the best one? Like there's no, it doesn't matter how high up you are. In fact, I think the higher up you go, the more self-conscious you'll become of every decision you make. I think, yeah, being an art director and you're like, if it's a big team, you have to be confident in your vision from start to finish and the team has to be confident that you know what you're talking about because i've seen projects where you're like yeah the art director gets like kicked off like people don't trust the vision or they want to change direction and i think that's the hardest part so at unseen because you said that you're part-time and you're a visual director so what does that mean does that mean could you go like go more into that about what you do then yeah i mean i guess the the main thing i would think about because it's the public one is the Kumuri uh, trailer. So like bringing that together from start to finish it was myself and Raul. So you have to imagine Ikumi is creative director and she brings the whole vision is her game. Uh, I'm trying to like get the most out of different people uh, when you have a cross-cultural studio. Everyone has to be on the same page. It's actually one of the hardest things, but it's the thing that I like the challenge of. You know, when I think about the trailer, it was, from my point of view, trying to break down everything into what had to be under one minute, um, show off the art style, animation, the world, so like the verticality, um, color palette, like architectural influences. There's smaller details that you wouldn't get at maybe first glance, but yeah, it, it goes back to like when you think about a style guide and you, for me, like I like to think about the pillars. Uh, the pillars of the game and how to communicate those visually. And I make sure that everything that I produce, pretty much every shot, fulfills multiple pillars. Um, so we have like verticality, like chaotic, like a chaotic world. We have cross-cultural. So that could mean like different types of architecture from different cities slash countries because it's a fictional location. Um, Chaotic could just mean visual language, like more angled architecture, like models and things. Uh, verticality for the animation. The animation was easy because we are a small studio. We actually made all of that in-house with the exception of the VFX. There was only about six, seven people. VFX was pretty, you know, it added a lot, don't get me wrong. But we were lucky that we had a good base animation that we could just build on. Um, so yeah, as visual director, it's like understanding what the vision of that IP was and trying to break it down so that I guess everyone was happy, but that we were able to deliver it in a very short, like short space of time. So it started off with like animat, like concept art, animatic, um, back and forth. I would also sort out the music, licensing that, um, connecting with them, connecting with Jeff. Like it was like a lot of things at once uh but it goes back to like my experience like i love art uh, style marketing um i think just visual identity when you reveal something that's like the most 
you know, exciting part for me, like where you're able to get people excited about a game. Doesn't always happen. So, it's, it, you know, when you break it down, your career, everything that you've done has built up, you know, to this moment, you know, your photography, you know, your UI experience, your, your marketing, your traveling, you know, you've packaged that all up and you've just run with it. And I, I think that's really, really inspiring, you know, for anybody starting out. And I think, again, you know, so I think some people think there's a perfect form, formula for getting into games or, you know, getting to somewhere. And, you know, just hearing different experiences, I think, you know, it's really good to hear. So for anyone that's starting out, what piece of advice would you give them? I think the thing that helped me the most was, and I'm sure majority of artists are in the same position where it's like, you don't, you don't feel a lot of confidence in your own work. There's so many amazing artists out there that you just go on social media and you're like, wow, this is incredible. Yeah. Um, easy to be demoralized. I think when I think back to uni, the most important thing that I did was to basically look at a lot of work and subjectively, like basically look at it and think about where I'm at, like my level and how to bridge that gap in the time that I could commit to it over mm. time. And so I think without that, it, it's actually very hard to get seen. Um, once I was able to do that, you know, I'd look at graduates' portfolios, I'd go on LinkedIn, see who got hired, check out what the quality was like, what were they showing that I wasn't showing. I'd also look at the higher end people who were, you know, seniors and leads and understand that kind of gap. Um, from there, it was getting my foot in the door with an interview. Since I had the interview, I would dedicate time that I would find in the evenings to creating like a piece of work for that studio. That was my one way to show my potential. Um, it takes up time. Not everyone has time, but that was the thing that set me apart. What I see throughout my career is when I see people apply, a lot of people say like cover letter is not important, portfolio matters the most. I think especially a smaller company, even on scene is, you know, not over 100, probably around 50 or so. But I see so many cover letters where I'm just like, the ones that really talk about the project, the studio, people at the studio, I don't know, some kind of things they've seen, hmm. I will already pay attention. Yeah. Uh, you kind of have to put that in. These days I see like chat GPT, oh, I don't know, like just yeah. like tech, like filler text. I'm like, what is this? Then I go in a portfolio and it's just like not... It feels like a throwaway application. Yeah. So I think it really, my biggest advice, first of all, is to understand where your level is compared to the standard and to do what you can to fill that gap. Understand what you need to learn, what you need to improve on. Um, and then the second part is, as soon as someone gives you that opportunity, is to put that little bit of effort, extra effort in to show that you are very passionate. You know, you want to come across in the best way. Because at the end of the day, yeah, you could be the best artist in the room, but if you can't work with people, then that's kind of the biggest part, isn't it? Yeah, like that's like for me personally, the thing I always struggled with was communication, which was mm. just too. And it goes back to uni. When you present your work, you have to be good at it. You have to be able to sell yourself in that scenario or let your work speak for yourself. I think when you're starting out, it's hard when you have nothing, you have no portfolio. You know, you have no experience, no 
impressive awards or whatever that will give you that confidence boost. But little by little, the more that you can get, the more pieces in your portfolio, that's what will help you improve. Yeah, well, that's really good advice. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And remember, it's your adventure. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. It really, really helps. And if you want to support any further, I do have a coffee page in case you want to buy me coffee. It just means I can keep bringing more and more great content. Thanks again. Bye.